0: So good morning, everyone. Um, This is the last passage uh, of Hebrews and the last preach on Hebrews. So we're going to look at Hebrews 13 today, the whole passage, um, and talk through the different things that we can take from it with a particularly practical ending, as I think the author intended. Um, Before we do that, I just want you to think about something by yourself for 30 seconds. Um, And I would like you to think about the question, what do you think makes Christian ethics or Christian beliefs about right and wrong, or beliefs about how we should live um, different to other ethical systems of the world. There are many of them, different religious and cultural systems that have existed for thousands of years. Just have 30 seconds, we're gonna have a little chance to talk about this with the person that was later, but for now, just have 30 seconds to ask yourself and try and answer that question. What makes Christian ethics different to the other ethical systems of the world? I'll give you 30 seconds, just have a little think. Okay, we'll come back to that question later. That was 30 seconds, but I did actually time it. (laughs) It flies by. Um, So we're gonna dive straight into passage and give it a read. So if you've got a physical or digital Bible, if you'd like to get that out. um, There's a couple of things I just want to highlight before we read just to kind of bear in the back of your um, mind as we go through the passage and then we're gonna unpick it bit by bit. So the first thing is that this passage is full of practical advice. Um, That's obvious if you have a look at it. But it also, as the whole of Hebrews does, as we've seen over the past couple of months, paints a broader picture, um, a broader theological picture about what Christian ethics really is all about. It does assume that the audience is having a rough time so it is supposed to be a positive call to action it's supposed to kind of be like look guys you can do this this is something that is achievable Um, it is saying you can do this and you should do this because it's good for you because it will bring you joy do these things not out of guilt or shame or fear but because doing these things will fulfill you and they will enable you to feel God's closeness now One of the most famous Hebrews commentaries basically suggests, the anchor Yale for anyone who's interested, um, suggests that Hebrews 1 to 4 is about helping us understand how Jesus is the perfect prophet and brings us into God's rest perfectly. 5 to 10 is about helping us understand how Jesus as the perfect priest and sacrifice brings us into God's presence perfectly. And we've seen that all the way across the series. And these final chapters, particularly this one, is about helping us understand how Jesus the king brings us finally into something called the city of God the new Jerusalem the new earth the kingdom of God and this chapter paints a picture about how this isn't just for the future but it began in the past with the hearers of great faith as we saw in Hebrews 11 and 12 and carries on with us now in a new way because of Jesus Hebrews 13 particularly paints a picture of what this should look like in the church today and can be summed up as a radical demand to be a Christ-centered community, a group of people who live here on earth who love this world but ultimately do not belong to it. So keep out for verses one to six, there are some deliberate contrasts, for example verses one to two. it sort of says do this but balance it with this and these are really important to this tension that exists in this passage verses 9 to 19 there's lots of religious ceremonial references to sacrifices altars some of that might be a bit tricky but read it with the broader idea of this past versus present especially as a jewish christian audience you did it this way but now you have this new better way we've seen that pattern all the way through hebrews Verses 12 to 13 are particularly important because they set the stage for the entire ethical argument of this passage, which essentially is, because Jesus did, let us then. And that is, again, a theme throughout Hebrews, because Jesus did, let us then. Bear in mind the use of the word city. It does carry its kind of literal meaning, but it does mean something broader. It's used as a symbol for meaning the world now, but also the coming kingdom of God. Verses 20 to 25 close the letter with the usual blessings. In some of your Bibles, you might have the benediction. Has anyone got that? Has anyone got the phrase, the benediction? Any ESV readers <laughs> out there? That's definitely got it in there. Um, and that is basically something that a lot of churches finish a service off with. And it's a send off. It's sort of assuming that the end of the church service is sending you out into the world. Um, and so there's a sense of you finish reading, now off you go take this into account and go and do it. So let's read. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for god will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because god has said never will i leave you never will i forsake you so we say with confidence the lord is my helper i will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me remember your leaders who spoke the word of god to you consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. For we, for here, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking forward to the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer, God, offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and share with others for such sacrifices. God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. That might make some of us chuckle, given it <laughs> doesn't seem brief. But you should see some of the treaties in the, in the ancient world. This is relatively short. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come to him with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people, those from Italy, send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Okay, so Hebrews 13, let's dive in. Now, I'm gonna come back to this ethical question here. Um, Ethics have been around forever. There is a lot of ethics in this passage. Essentially, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. This is how you should live. Um, I want you to come back to that question you you asked yourself at the beginning about What do you think makes Christian ethics unique and different? And I'm going to give you 30 seconds, no more, to turn to the person next to you or nearby and just share what you thought um, the answer to that question is. If you... Okay, time's up. Um anyone want to share what they discussed? Come on guys. I know there's some of you out there who love volunteering for this stuff. Don't there's no need to pretend. <laughs> oh Mark, thanks. <laughs> what were your thoughts? Or the thoughts of anyone you can drag in anyone who you talk to as well if you like. Oh okay. <laughs> Maybe in comparison to the secular world, which doesn't have the sort of objective basis for terminology. Okay. Yeah, I guess Jesus and the Bible as well. Love it. Do you Can you just explain very briefly what you mean by objectivity, because that's quite a big word. <laughs> okay. okay. Consistent. It doesn't change depending on... Okay, yeah. So objectivity in the sense that it stays the same. We did have a specific reference to that in the passage. Jesus is the same, was the same, is the same now and forever. There's a sense of consistency through time and culture. Um, Brilliant, lovely insight. Anyone else want to share? Yes. so like goes almost goes beyond just immediate human needs and wants to something exactly. that's bigger yeah bigger than us bigger than kind of what's immediately in front of us and what we might need or want in the moment one last one last chair yes yeah Yeah, that's fantastic, that idea of it—not you're not doing it out of guilt. You're not doing it because you feel like you owe something. You're not trying to right a wrong because it's all been done for you already. So it's out of a pure like love, like you said, out of your heart, out of a joy, as opposed to doing it because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't do it. Brilliant. Thank you, everyone. Um, I think that paints a really lovely picture of a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, one of the things that I think has come up consistently is this idea of gospel or Christian ethics being tied really, really tightly to relationships and to other people. Often in the New Testament, um, it, it kind of that you get references to like working on character, but that purely sort of introspective moral message of you are working on yourself purely. Um, is actually always in the context of working in a larger community. If you look at something like Buddhism or a political um, perspective like communism, um, you might have either end of the spectrum where one is They're they're almost about kind of like forsaking the self, getting rid of the self and just becoming part of a community. You might have the other extreme, which is maybe more like our kind of secular perspective, which is super about you and the individual and what you want and what you need. And that is the most important thing and Christianity neither of those things but it's not in the middle it takes into account the importance of community and also the importance of you as an individual loved by God and holds them both together and here we had time we could talk I'd happily talk for a long long time about how the Trinity sets the foundation for this how the Christian God is a community and the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit are the absolute center and good uh, absolute center of the universe And at that center is this sense of joy and adoration in the three members of the Trinity who are each not blurred into one another, um, but there is that sense of community. And we see the outpouring of this love in the incarnation, that the Son comes to live amongst us and then draws us in to his community. Tim Keller highlights that Jesus didn't come and write a book. He could have spent his years on Earth writing a series of treaties. Some might argue that might have been more helpful. You know, all the rules listed out, lovely, just thousands of rules, everything that we do for every scenario, um, just really clear and really easy. But there's a reason that Jesus did not do that. The thing that Jesus left behind was a community. He spent his time on Earth building a community. He then leaves this community with one specific instruction. Keep building this community. Keep doing what I have done. Build this community and draw people in. This is important because in Jesus' eyes, the task of putting aside our sin and following him and the gift of getting to know him intimately are not separate issues. They are one and the same, which is why when someone says to Jesus, what's more important, love your neighbor or love God? He says, yes, because they're the same thing. Loving God and loving your neighbor, building community, following God, living an ethical life in a Christian context are the same thing. When you experience powerful community, gospel-shaped community, you experience the presence of God. The claim is that as a Christian, you don't necessarily experience God at the altar or at the sacrifice of an animal or by eating certain foods. You experience God by being part of his community and being part of him. And this belief is the basis for all the ethical expectations found in Hebrews 13 and found in the New Testament. So what does this community look like? Luckily, Hebrews 13 takes quite a clear picture of this. I think a really important theme to note is that One of the things we'll see is this idea of multiple points of contact in the community. I don't know if any of you are part of any clubs. Um, I'm part of a few clubs now as a pregnant person who things like... Pregnancy yoga and antenatal classes. And, you know, they have like a point of contact, one thing that you share in common that you do together. Um, it makes it a club. You know, you're all there because you're interested in the same thing. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But church should not be like that. The gospel community is multiple points of contact, much more like a family than a club. So just bear that in mind as we read through. So verses one and two, keep on loving one another as brother and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The Greek here is Philadelphia, maybe known for either the American city or the soft cheese. Um, but the origin of this world is brotherly love. It's friendship love, love of those with whom you have things in common. The other word used is philoxenia which is love of foreigners. This is actually really important in Greek culture. I don't know if anyone knows, Zeus is like the deity of foreigners. so This is a really common idea um, to Greek people, although they often didn't necessarily follow it. Um, But love of strangers, love of aliens more specifically. Show love to the people in your community. But also, show love to the people who you don't know, or even the people who you might view with suspicion, or even the people who you might naturally dislike or not connect with. Hold these two things in tension. don't feel that you feel that you belong, build strong community, have beautiful friendships within the church, but don't do that to the exclusivity of the people outside, always drawing in, feeling like you belong, but always draw in. verse three. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Care for those Christians who are in prison for their faith is one explicit thing here. Care for persecuted Christians. Again, care for the people who are in your circle who are suffering, but also care for the criminals, maybe the people who deserve to be there. Care for the people who no one else cares about. Don't just consider that because we're part of a community, we have everyone, everyone has our back, which is fantastic, but care for those people who nobody has their back. Um, Care for those are two. We get that that same tendency attention verses four and five and six marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you so we say with confidence the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me the two big ones, sex and money, massive, massive community shapers, sex, intimacy, and relationships. How we navigate these tells us a lot about the kind of community that we want to create, particularly the mef- reference to marriage and adultery. Imagine a church where people are cheating on their spouses or a church where people are scouting out sexual partners for fun, hitting on each other, or where personal gratification is the main goal. It makes your skin cruel <laughs> because it's a horrible community to imagine and that is why this is referenced that might seem like an extreme although I don't actually think it is that extreme if you think about like kind of communities painted on the television or maybe even your own like workplaces or student communities actually not that extreme Um, But imagine this this picture highlights how damaged a community can be by not centering relationships founded on trust, intimacy, long-term exclusive publicly declared and witness commitment, intentionality, self-sacrifice. The Bible has a term for for the romantic relationships that exist explicitly in that context. And that term is marriage, and the writer uses it twice. And they are highlighting the importance of those kinds of relationships And not having one where people cannot trust others. They highlight um, specifically adultery. And I think because, you know, that is a kind of obvious, horrible thing, but it's also a symbol for that absolute break of trust, completely putting yourself and your needs before those of another to the deep long-term detriment of another person. This specific act and an example as a symbol is a grim picture of a community that is not gospel-centered. And the same is with money. Look at the world today. It's a society based on making money as the primary goal, is one where the majority not only suffer materially, but also feel isolated and hopeless. It's a world that says greed is good, or at least look out for yourself first where people begin to be valued by what they can do for you. The writer says a gospel community puts money aside and trusts that God will provide. It is not romanticizing poverty. That's really important. It's not saying, you know, kind of live the life... That realistically only people who have already been millionaires can live where you sell all your possessions and then you sort of live in a little commune and have a lovely time. It's not romanticizing that at all. But what it's saying is the love of money, making money your primary goal, seeing people and their value to you through the lens of money is dangerous. And the, one of the ingredients for a community that is corrupt at its core. Remember verses one and two, invite all to your table share what you have. Verse nine, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do. Remember, ceremonial cleanliness is not the aim of the game here. There is a slight irony here that the um, recipients or the audience of this letter were probably Jewish people. And so saying strange teachings and then saying food laws is kind of a weird thing to say to Jewish people because food laws are quite central to Jewish teaching. So there's a deliberate, like kind of little cheeky (laughs) side from the writer there, you know, highlighting something and then saying something that, you know it really wouldn't have felt strange but that's a deliberate rhetor- rhetorical technique now we might or might not have food rules some of them are probably food rules but we may have a modern day equivalent of cultural rules that we believe make us better people um it could be being on time I i think that's a really interesting one that's very like i think like kind of white british middle class value but it sort of becomes like a, a thing i think that's a really interesting one having a good job some food ones, being vegan, exercising, avoiding alcohol, being eco-friendly, being politically liberal or conservative, could go either way, depending on your background. The point is, whatever you think you have that makes you better the writer says this is no this is of no benefit to anyone rely on grace the ethics of a gospel community are not about being better or worse than other people they are not about purification through denial they are about running after chasing after through pure love what is good so how do we do this verse 11 to 13 tells us The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Picture this, Jesus on the cross, dying in agony, out of pure love and compassion for a group of people, us included, who do not and cannot love him back as they should. Verse 11, the Jews made themselves clean through animal sacrifice. God's presence, cleansed from sin, in the temple through this animal sacrifice. We experience this by looking directly at Jesus and accepting the sacrifice that he has already made for us and allowing our hearts to melt because he enables us to do what he does, love the world and the people in it, regardless of whether they will love us back. This love carries no self-righteousness or pride because we are only able to do it when we rest our eyes and hearts on Jesus. This is a really common theme throughout the New Testament that ethical stuff is never in the context of determination or will. It's always rely on God, rely on Jesus, rely on his grace. So verse 14, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. I love this verse. I think it's a beautiful picture again of this idea that we are a little bit in the kingdom of God now. and I've mentioned this in a few different sermons, partly because I just like to bring it in, but it's really explicitly here, so I've got an excuse this time. But this idea that we are beginning to build the kingdom of God on Earth, but we will one day be in the city of God fully. and This sums up where we have to build the community the way we do. We are residents of this world, called to commit to and love it, but it is not our ultimate home. Our home is with God in the heavenly city. The commission or task given to us by God is to begin to build this city here now whilst not becoming it. We are called to love unconditionally the people of this world including each other to go out to them and show them real genuine care to invite them to our table whilst not being swept up in the ways of the world the word, the phrase hebrews used and this is in hebrews 11 is resident alien we are here but we do not ultimately belong here we're not tourists only concerned with spiritual issues. I've heard Christians say that. You know, we're more concerned with spiritual stuff than the material stuff. They are not separate in Jesus's vision of the world. They are the same thing, but we're not consumers swallowing everything, our culture values throughout question. Therefore, through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, Fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Do not forget to do good and to share with others. For these are the sacrifices that please God. The chapter ends with a reminder to not be a pain to church leaders. Um, They have a tough job, pray for them. (laughs) (laughs) And Pray for each other and be a blessing to one another. And then it ends with this blessing to go out to the world. So before I finish, I just thought four super practical things. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there that we can take away. Number one, open our home and lives to church friends. If you feel like you're on the fringe, get involved. This church I think is particularly good at this. Don't be a passenger and get cross the churches and serving you. Be an active member and work out how you can make this a better community for everyone, including yourself. Number two, invite strangers into your life. Neighbours, work buddies, forge connections, show love, open your table in ways that you feel able to. Number three, think about your relationships. If every church relationship was like yours, would this be a true gospel community? If not, maybe it's time to reflect and make changes and ask for support and prayer for those who you trust and love. Number four, think about your relationship with money and your job. Can you be using that resource to help the community? Do you need help in this area but afraid to ask? Remember that we're a family with multiple points of contact. If we are struggling with something very practical like this, Your financial worries are my financial worries and mine are yours. We are all sharing this together. And so feel able to go up to people. If you're not struggling, maybe there's ways we can make ourselves more available to people who are and to offer them help. Now, I think I'm gonna finish there. We're gonna have a further song, is that correct? And at the end, we're gonna do a bit of a kind of Hebrew style sending out in the spirit of the author who wrote the book.